0: So the songs we sang tonight um, really, 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 really strongly reflect, I always try to do that, but especially tonight, really strongly reflect um, what we're going to be talking about. And so the title of tonight's sermon um, is called The Perfect Referee. Uh, Y'all know I'm not necessarily the most um, sports-minded person, but that's just what we're talking about tonight. Uh, So I'm going to do my best if I say something wrong about sports, it's just going to be All right, so um, Colossians 3.15 is a verse that I was studying um, several weeks ago. Um, God put it in my heart, and I started reading it and studying it. Um, And as I've continued to study it, you know, it's always one of those things, I want to share every word that God puts in my heart, but some, you know, you just really especially want to share because it's just so profound to you that you just want to share it with somebody. Um, Thankfully, I get the opportunity to do that. Um, But I was reading Colossians 3.15 and that was one of those ones where as I began to study it and uh, the first day that God put it on my heart, I started reading it. Um, I just felt the need to to leave the house early for work and, and go to the coffee shop and just sit there and just put headphones in and just block everything out, and so I sat there for a good little while studying this and, and really digging into it, um, because I think it's, uh, it's really easy to read and gloss over the, the real deep meaning of this verse. So Colossians 3.15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That Again, it's sort of real easy to just sort of gloss over. Um, it's real easy to read flippantly. You know, just let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's the, That sentence right there, that first part of it, uh, is what we're really going to be focusing on tonight. And if you're just, you know, if that's the verse of the day or if that's like the verse that's in your devotional that you're reading, it can be real easy to read that and move on um, and really miss the, the really, really deep truths of that. Um, I think that, um, this is sort of an extreme example, for sure. But I think that um, sometimes, whenever we read this verse without really giving it a lot of thought and allowing God to speak into our hearts, um, it, it sort of translates in our minds some kind of way like this: Allow the good feelings of church worship songs and goosebumps distract you from the struggles of life. Now, again, that's sort of like you know a real extreme uh, translation in our minds. And of course, when we read that, we would never like think that that's what that says. But the way we act in response to that verse sometimes reflects that that's how we read it. Um, You know, good feelings and comfort and peace and all these kind of things. Um, And my disclaimer to that is certainly whenever we live this verse the way that God calls us to, we will have comfort, we will have peace, we will have joy in spite of the things around us. But if we if we try to skip to that, if we read that verse, skip the deep truths of that verse, and just try to say, okay, peace, good stuff, good feelings, we're really going to miss out um, on an important truth about the sovereignty of God and the authority of God in our lives. Um, so we're going to talk about that tonight, and the two words that we're going to focus on are peace and rule. Now in English, those two words don't have a whole lot to do with each other. Um, whenever I think of peace, I don't think of authority. And whenever I think of authority, I don't always necessarily think of peace, especially um, in the conditions of the world today. You know, it, uh, there are governments all over the world are, are you know, at odds with each other, and it seems like every day you read something that's not peaceful about authority and governments in the news. Um, so to me, in English, those two words don't really go together, but according to God's Word, they do. And so we're going to dig into that tonight. Um, and so I would encourage you not to read this or hear what I'm saying um, at a surface level. I want us to dig deep into this. So the first word we're going to talk about is peace. Now, I was told one time that nobody needs to know what you know about Greek and Hebrew. And to an extent, I think that's true. You, don't, you guys don't need to know. But it's a tool that helps you to understand the word. And so I'm going to do my best to relay that to you tonight. Um, the New Testament was written in Greek but I think it's important, especially when looking at the word peace, to take a step back and remember that Paul would have spoken Hebrew. He was a Pharisee, he was a Jew. Hebrew is what he spoke. He may have also spoken other languages, but as a Jew, Hebrew is what he spoke. And so I think whenever he wrote a word in Greek, he was probably thinking of, of what it means. I'm not bilingual, so I don't know exactly how that works, um, but you know, I would imagine that if I was to learn Spanish or French or any of those other languages, as a native English speaker, Even if I was writing or speaking in that other language, I would still kind of be thinking of the meanings of my native language, because that's that's what's natural to me. And so I think probably when Paul wrote that word peace, he probably was thinking, even though he was writing in Greek and using a word that had a slightly different meaning for what we translate to peace, probably he would have been thinking of the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. And that's something that we're probably all familiar with. We've probably all heard that before. Um, That's how Jewish people would, would greet each other. They would say shalom. And so That word shalom doesn't mean peace, and again, in the sense of that real surface-level English translation of peace, but what shalom meant was completeness or wholeness or perfection. And so when you greeted somebody with shalom, you were kind of saying, like, I I wish these things for you, I pray that you would have these things in your life. Um, And so it's a really nice greeting, and it's a lot better than just, hey, what's up? Um, And I think that, you know, it kind of reflects the the roots that they have, you know, as God's people. But what got me as I was thinking about that is if I was to greet you with that word shalom and tell you to have, you know, in that one word say, I wish that you would have perfection and completeness and wholeness in your life. Well, that's you're not going to manage that today. I'm not going to manage that today. Not on my own. I'm telling you to accomplish something that you can't accomplish. Uh, And so to me, as I really thought about that, it it almost kind of made me laugh a little because it's sort of contradictory. You know, you're going to somebody and you're greeting them with something that's sort of ridiculous um, if we think about what we're capable of just as humans um, on our own. And so it it would be sort of what I thought about in my mind. It would be sort of like greeting you with solve world hunger today. Well, you're just not. It's just not going to happen. You know, probably not even this week or this month. You know, I wish that was the case. I wish you could accomplish that in your life and through your life, but it's probably not going to happen. And so to greet somebody with shalom is real nice, but taken at a surface level, without involving God and the deep truths of God's word and and his will for us, um, it's kind of a useless greeting. Um, But it's an important thing for us to understand as we we break this verse open. Again, even though it was written in Greek, um, I think Paul's understanding of Hebrew strongly influenced his his word choice, um, even in Greek. So as we go through, I'm going to keep reading that passage of Scripture over and over again with these meanings that we're breaking open. And so now that we have that understanding of the word shalom, um, perfection or completeness, I'm going to read that little phrase again with the meaning of shalom in place of it, what Paul would have thought in his mind. Let the perfection of Christ rule in your hearts. So already it looks drastically different than it did before. When I think of the word peace, when I say "Let let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, that sounds really nice and really happy. But whenever I say, let the perfection of Christ rule in your hearts, then it starts to get a little scary. You know, it starts to insinuate that there might be some change, there might be some discomfort, there might be some struggle involved. Um, And so as we go through, we'll see how this this verse evolves into something that means a whole lot more than just peace and and easy feelings. Um, So in Greek, I'm probably worse at pronouncing stuff in Greek than I am at Hebrew, and shalom is really easy, but I'm going to do my best. In Greek, the word that we read as peace in our Bible um, is pronounced something like "irene," which you don't need to know how to pronounce it just so long as you know what it means. But that word translates um, as peace, and its meaning is to join together or to have harmony between individuals. And already as I was studying these things, um, that thought of shalom and that thought of the Greek word really started to change my understanding, not just of this verse, but just of of what all the verses in the Bible that talk about peace mean. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me, you always hear people say, um, peace of God and peace with God. And as a younger Christian, I never really, I couldn't have explained that to you. I, I didn't really get it. Um, as I matured in my faith, I might not have been able to write out what, what it meant, but I knew in my heart I had experienced what that meant. But those two words really are, are what that means. Uh, and so when we talk about shalom, when we talk about perfection, completeness, wholeness, that's the peace of God. And so whenever you hear somebody say that, you'll know what that means, because perfection is only found in God. Only God is perfect. We can only find completeness and wholeness in the creator of everything. On our own, we're broken, we're imperfect. But if we desire to have the peace of God in our lives, we have to desire to have God in our lives because he is perfection. He is completeness. He is All of creation came from him. So that's the only way for us to find any sort of um, completeness or wholeness. And so as Paul uses these words and tries to help us understand these things, it kind of gives us a better idea. When we go from the Hebrew word to the Greek word, now we find peace with God. So that idea of joining together or finding harmony between individuals, um, that's what we're talking about whenever, if you've ever heard anybody talk about what prayer does or how prayer works, That's kind of what it's talking about. Um, You know, we don't pray to try to convince God to do something. We don't pray to try to tell God something that he doesn't already know. He already knows. But we pray so that through prayer, he can bring us into line with him. As we pray, his Holy Spirit teaches us and helps us to understand what his will is for us. And so it takes us from where we are to be in line with God. And as Paul is writing this, he's well aware of the fact that the Jews have been working really hard for a really long time. They've been following a lot of rules, following a lot of laws, upholding a lot of traditions and rituals and routines to try to be right with God. And what Paul is trying to get them to understand is that you've been saying shalom to each other for so long and yet you've you've missed it. Shalom is good and it's necessary. The perfection of God is certainly necessary. That's the only way we can have peace. It's the only way we can have completeness and wholeness in our lives, but they missed out on peace with God because they didn't understand how to get hold of it. They worked real hard to try to get it, but what they didn't get is that that peace is only found when we come into harmony with God. We're not trying to work God into harmony with us. We're not trying to drag ourselves to the place we need to be, but we're allowing God to show us where we need to be. We're allowing God to bring us in line with him so that we can receive his shalom, so we can receive his peace. Um, and so Paul is trying to help us to understand um, the dynamic of having peace in our lives. It, it's real good to read these verses about peace, um, but I think it's so easy to just gloss over it and wonder why we don't have peace. Even if you have, like the Jews, some little understanding of what peace is, um, you know, you might even know that peace isn't dependent on your circumstances around you, but how do you get to that place? How do you get to that place of being able to to have an inward state that's one way, you know, to have this inward feeling of calm and like everything's okay, I trust in God and I know that God's going to work it all out. How do you get to that place? You allow God to bring you into harmony with Him. And that's how we manage to have the peace of God by having peace with God. If we don't have peace with God, then we can't have the peace of God. If we don't have shalom, other way around, if we don't have the Greek word, arene, then we can't have shalom. And so Paul, even though he wrote in Greek, I think that um, God was using his understanding of both of those languages in the hopes that one day somebody would crack this word open and realize that those two words have to go together. They might be in different languages. They might be words that you never use in your day-to-day life. For, those, you know, for us as, as Americans and as English speakers, I might not ever say those words. It probably will because I'm a pastor. But other than that, I might not ever say those words again but the understanding of those two words, um, our sovereign God orchestrated languages in such a way that even though they're in different languages, they complement each other to teach us something about his nature and, and who we are in him. And so reading it that way, um, again, it starts to sound a little bit different. Rather than saying, um, let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, now we can say something uh, sort, of, sort of along the lines and I kind of, worded it different ways, but sort of along the lines of um, allow yourself to be brought into harmony with God so that the perfection of His Son can rule in your hearts. Now it's a lot more words than reading it how, how it just translates basically in English, but it's a lot deeper under, understanding. It's a lot more meaningful to me at least. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It means what it means, but if you don't understand the deep truth underneath just the, the ink on the page, then you miss that that long sentence that means so much to us and that shapes the way we think about our interaction with God. Allow God to bring you into harmony with him so that the perfection of his son can rule in your hearts. That's the beginning of that understanding of peace, but we've got to get to a place uh, of of being able to say that that's true. Both of those words apply in our lives. And so that next word rule that maybe doesn't go with the word peace is part of how we get there. And so and I should have said this before, but we're not going through that whole verse. There's a few more words that I really would like to break open and study, um, and I'm continuing to study in my own um, devotional time, but the whole verse is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, that's an important word, called, in one body, and be thankful. And thankful is another important word, so if you're taking notes and doing homework later, called and thankful. Write those down and go study them. They're uh, really important for this understanding. So. The next word we're going to look at is rule. And that word rule is very important. So in Greek, I don't like trying to pronounce this one. "Rabuō" is my best pronunciation. But again, that's not important. It's just for the heck of it. But that word we translate into English as rule. But what it means is um, arbitrate, umpire, or to call the shots. And so I never played baseball. I never really cared for baseball. So I changed umpire to referee. It's the same thing but I can use examples from playing basketball for the word referee. If I left it umpire, you would just have to figure it out. So since I'm the one teaching, we're we're saying referee. So arbitrate is an important word, and referee is an important word, but that phrase, call the shots, I think really makes it a little clear. Um, But we're going to dig into those. So we're going to read the verse again with that word arbitrate in place of rule. Allow God to bring you into harmony with him so that the perfection of his son can arbitrate in your hearts. So now that's a little bit, maybe a little bit confusing. I, don't, I know I don't use the word arbitrate ever, but it's I think it's a, a meaning that we're very familiar with, even if we never used that word. Um, and so arbitrate carries the idea of an umpire or a referee. If you look up the definition of arbitrate or arbitrator, it's got umpire and referee as part of the definition. So um, that's kind of where we can also pull referee from. But to arbitrate carries the idea of, um, well, here's the definition of, of arbitration. The reaching of an authoritative judgment by an independent individual. So we're going to break that down. The reaching of an authoritative judgment by an independent individual. It makes sense in practice. A referee is somebody who's not on either team. He's not, you know, if it's like high school ball or whatever, he's not from, or college or whatever. He's not from either school. He's He's an independent, unbiased individual who can make calls based on what he sees without being biased you know, by which, which team he's, he's from. So he's an independent indiv- individual making judgments. And so um, that word arbitrate carries the same idea. Like a judge in court, obviously he's not part of either party. He's you know, an independent person making um, decisions. So we're going to read, again, we're going to read that passage of Scripture with that in place of arbitrate. Allow God to bring you into harmony with himself so that the perfection of his Son can make the authoritative judgments in your heart. So at this point, if you put those two side by side, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Surface level, you miss it all, really. I mean, unless you take a second to really, well, it took a whole lot more than a second, to really dig into this, you miss it. But if you write that down instead, allow God to bring you into harmony with himself so that the perfection of his Son can make the authoritative judgments in your heart. Now it doesn't really seem a whole lot like it's about peace. The result of that statement is peace. But that statement requires a lot more before we get to peace. So um, in English, it it doesn't really sound a whole lot like peace and thankfulness. um, But what it sounds like is the sovereignty of God over all of creation. It sounds like my heart being changed from what I want and what my desires are to what he wants and what his desires are. Um, And that's the point. That's what Paul was trying to get across. As I studied that idea of an independent individual, you know, God really put it on my heart. We look to a lot of people to be that independent individual. We look to a lot of places to be that independent individual. We don't like the word judgment so much, but even if you substituted opinions for judgment, it's kind of the same thing. And we look to other people's opinions, we look to circumstances around us to influence the way that we think and the way that we make decisions. And there's really only one independent individual. Now, of course, you know, when we talk about basketball and stuff, we're talking about the refs. But when we're talking about life and all of creation, there's only one independent individual. There's only one individual who does not rely on anybody else or anything else for his existence and his power, and that's Christ. So when we talk about how are we supposed to make decisions how are we supposed to find peace you know we have to make decisions to find peace we have to get somewhere to get to peace so when we, we when we think about how do we get there how do we make those decisions how do we make the right calls we have to look to the judging of the independent individual and that's Christ and Christ alone um, he is the only independent individual. And so Paul is telling us to lean um, on the sovereign independent individual. That's getting real hard to say, so that's the last i want to say it. That is the God of all creation. So no matter the circumstances in our lives, those things don't matter. The independent individual matters. His judgments, his decisions, his heart, that's what matters. And so when we read that statement um, As we read before, allow God to bring you into harmony with himself so that the perfection of his Son might make the authoritative judgments in your heart. That's how we get to peace. That's how we get to that thing that every human being is searching for. Whether they're a Christian or not, everybody wants peace. Everybody needs peace. We were created to have peace. And so many people, Christians included, miss peace their whole lives even because they miss this principle they miss this understanding. We search for peace, we know what we're looking for, we just don't know where to look. We just don't know how to look. And the truth is, when we look to the independent individual, we find it. When we stop looking for peace and we start looking for God, we find peace. So whenever I think of a referee and and try to apply this to my life, um, I think back to playing basketball in high school and a bad referee, which to me, all of them were bad, a bad referee, can make a great game terrible. It doesn't matter if the players all bring their A game. It doesn't matter if the the players are all, I mean, out of this world, talented, giving their best effort. A bad referee ruins that. A bad referee ruins the game. And so why are we surprised when we bring our A game and when we are, to our knowledge, prepared and equipped and as ready as we can be to play the game And then we get bad refs to come and make the judgments, and the game is ruined. And we're surprised by that. We're surprised. If you go and find the worst refs ever, it's going to be the worst game ever. It's just the truth. But a good ref can make, I would venture to say, even a bad game great. The players might be terrible. I mean, it might be embarrassing to watch those people play. But when there's a ref making the right calls, who knows his stuff, and whose judgments are good, and honest, and fair, it, it makes for a good game. It's a lot, a lot more fun to play. I was one of those players that almost made you cry to watch. We were not good. My senior year, we played 32 games and lost all of them. But if you have a good ref, the game is at least enjoyable for the players, no matter how terrible they are, because at least the, the, it's being called fairly. You might be losing 98 to 14, but it's nobody's fault but yours just because you're terrible and that's a lot easier than knowing you brought your a game and it was ruined because of a bad riff i'd way rather be on the other end of that and the truth is i am on the other end of that i'm really not all that great none of us are i don't have a lot to bring to the game i can't shoot i can't dribble i can't i can pass okay so long as the other people aren't taller than me i can pass kind of okay i I don't have a lot to bring. I mean, we went and played basketball. Some of the men from the church went and played basketball. That was terrible. I shot probably 10 times the whole night, and my arm was sore. It was bad. I didn't make a single shot. Half my passes got intercepted. That's not the right term, but that's, that's the word. Half my passes got stolen. It was bad. But we had fun because there was no refs, so it was no big deal. But in the game of, of life, we have, if we will allow him, we have a good ref. We have the perfect ref. He makes the perfect calls. He makes the best calls. He doesn't miss a single call. He sees it all. You don't have to get mad because he called something that you don't agree with, but he was on the other side of the court. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's got it. He makes the best calls. He's the perfect ref. And so, again, why are we surprised whenever things don't go right, but we've allowed somebody else to be our referee or something else to be our referee? If you have a bad ref, you're going to have a bad game. It doesn't matter how hard you try. But if you have a good ref, the independent individual, our arbitrator. Arbitrator doesn't sound like too nice of a word. And it's not a nice word unless it's applied to the right person. And there's only the one right person. So who are you allowing to make the calls in your life? What are you allowing to make the calls in your life? Who have you given authority over your life? What have you given authority over your life? Again, whenever we give that authority to anything other than God, to anyone other than God, it's just not going to go well. Nobody's going to make the perfect calls. You might uh, find a ref who makes some okay calls that you're okay with, but he's going to make some calls that you're not okay with. But the perfect ref, even if you're not okay with it, you can rest assured that it's the perfect call. You can rest assured that even if you don't agree with the call, and even if it causes you to lose a little right now, in the end... It's for your good. In the end, it's for your peace. But only if you have the perfect ref. And so I'm going to read that sentence one more time, that verse kind of reworded uh, to, to more accurately reflect what I think God is trying to speak to us. Let the perfection of Christ make the cause in your life. Join together with Christ so that his completeness can bring harmony between your heart and the heart of the Father. So whenever we read this verse at a surface level, We just are really, it's just a carrot being dangled in front of us. Peace. I want that. I want to pursue after that. I might spend my whole day thinking about peace. I might spend my whole life thinking about peace and trying to figure out how to get a hold of that carrot that's being dangled in front of me. And it's not God's fault. He's not dangling the carrot in front of me. My ignorance is causing that to be the case. My misunderstanding of the word is causing me to chase after something that it's a good idea, but I just don't get it. And so I encourage you um, to continue studying this, not just to try to learn more Greek and Hebrew words, but to try to learn more of what God is really saying to us. Um, I, I'm so grateful that we have the Bible in the form that it is, um, but I encourage you to, to take this stuff and use it as tools because when you break this open this way, it, it changes your whole understanding, not just of some words on a page, not just uh, some knowledge that you have in your head, but how to live life. Rather than living life hoping that you have peace and wishing that you have peace and praying that you have peace, with this knowledge, you're equipped to live life in submission to the authority of God, knowing that He's the perfect referee, and through that, you'll have perfect peace in your life. Regardless of what's going on around you, you will have completion. You will have, now we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but that perfection will be present in our lives in the person of Christ as we abide with him and abide in the word and allow his spirit to just wash over us and, and cover us, cover our imperfections with his wholeness and his completion. And so um, it's sort of an encouragement, but it's sort of a challenge, I think, as well. Um, and I do encourage you to study those other two words, called and thankful. It um, makes a whole lot more to this text. Um, I just don't think we've got another you know, 30 minutes or so to go through that. But I do encourage you to... to to study that. Um, It it means a lot whenever you break into this. Um, You know, sometimes I like to sit and read a whole book out of the Bible all in one sitting. It gives you a a big picture of of that, you know, that letter or that book. It gives you um, sort of a a big perspective understanding. But sometimes God wants us to to just spend a week, two weeks, or a month on just that one word. Uh, So don't be afraid of Greek. Don't be afraid of Hebrew. I don't Mm -hmm. understand it perfectly, but that's what Google is for. Uh, it helps us to understand a whole lot. We have books, we have resources, we have all of these things. And it's not just knowledge, it's it's this, it's what we got tonight. Um, so I encourage you with that, uh, we'll pray and we'll be done. God, thank you for speaking to us tonight and moving um, in our hearts, God, to give us a greater understanding of you and of your word, but also a greater understanding um, of who we are in you and, and what you've called us to be. Um, I pray that you would continue to guide us with your spirit, God, as we, um, as we, as we grow in our relationship with you as we pursue you, uh, and I just ask that you would give us an understanding, God. Make us able to understand your word uh, more each and every day as we abide in your word and abide with you, God. And I just ask that you would continue to be with us um, as we pursue you, God. Though um, whatever the news says, whatever, whatever's going on in the world around us, God, I pray that you would um, show us how to have peace, um, not in spite of something, but in light of you. Thank you for being with us tonight, God, and I pray that you would just send us out with the fullness of your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.